Well, good morning again. I'd like to invite you to find Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles this morning. Acts chapter 2. Uh, we also have sermon outlines on the communion tables if you'd like to grab them in the back to follow along. Uh, and for those of you maybe just joining us, we're in our final week in a series called Being with God. And just to give you a heads up, the plan is to start next week going through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a fabulous book, and I still recall the lessons I learned the first time I studied it over four decades ago, and those timeless principles are just as relevant for each of our lives today. We're coming up also on the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to go to mcleanbible.org backslash stories and share how you've seen God work in your own life there. Uh, we've found that this is a great way to encourage fellow believers. So if God's done something in your life, please take the time to share it with others. And naturally, we're not stop, stopping our time in the word or prayer. Uh, rather, we just hope that this was a jump start uh, to help you with your devotion and uh, following the Lord each and every day. Now here at the Prince William location, starting in February, every first Wednesday of the month, we're going to go back to some old school fellowship with potluck starting at 6.30 p.m., followed by worship and prayer. And we'll be wrapping up that evening at 9 o'clock here in the sanctuary. So every first Wednesday starting in the month of February. And to me, uh, and I would say the staff, we're, our greatest desire is to foster opportunities for you to come together to have fellowship, to spend time in the Word, time in the prayer. And so please take us up on this. Uh, and you'll find that it's an incredible time to be in the community of Christ. And it's one more way that we can stay battle-ready as a church. Now, when I think of community, I think of a painting or a print that I have in my office. I want to show you this picture. It reminds me of a lot of things from almost three decades serving in the special ops community, <clears throat> but it also reminds me of some biblical things to include the body of Christ, spiritual warfare, and the fact that Everybody has a role to play. So as you look at this picture, realize in the spec ops world, uh, the community was very tight. And there's a phrase that goes around, long live the brotherhood. And so uh, it certainly is one where each man needed to rely on the other. And certainly not one role was more significant than the other. And what I learned is being involved in a community like this, there's a cost. There's also an expectation. My expectation for a teammate is that he's going to perform and train hard on his off time so that he'll do well downrange when it really matters when lives are on the line. And so we have high expectations for our fellow teammates to be trained up and ready to go to war. And so that's like a given. But what I've also learned in this community is as you do life together, this cost sometimes gets elevated. Sometimes it simply costs you time and effort, a little sweat equity. Other times, it's going to cost you some personal injury, right? I will have a limp from my right knee for saving a teammate for the rest of my life. Uh, and so I'm reminded of saving a fellow teammate uh, when we're in a sticky situation. And then there's others that are much more significant. We have teammates that model John 15, 13, where they gave their very lives so that someone else could live. And so there's a cost to be in a community. And so today, what I want to show you is probably one of the most relevant passages for the community in Christ. And it's in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. Follow along with me, and then we're going to break it down into three simple points today. This is the Word of God. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, as we gather today to explore your word, we ask for your spirit to guide us. Open our hearts to the lessons of the early church in Acts so that we might learn how to live in true community, connected, caring, and celebration. Help us to embrace these principles, not just as ideals, but as a living reality in our lives, our families, and our church. And I pray all this in Jesus' name and the church said. Amen. All right. So before we dive into our passage, let me get you caught up on what's taken place so far in the book of Acts. Remember, Jesus shared his parting words in Acts 1-8 with his disciples when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And it starts in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. And from there, the Holy Spirit came upon God's people in Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. And we see the results. And they preached boldly in multiple languages. And this brought a lot of attention. Some was positive and some was negative. But even after being arrested and threatened, the disciples still boldly proclaimed their hope in Jesus Christ. Now think about it. When I fell in love with my bride, when we were teenagers, you did not have to coerce me to tell people that I was smitten with that young girl, right? I told everybody. I was obnoxious about it. 38 years later, I hear from some that I'm still obnoxious about it. But that's the point, right? When you love somebody, it shows, or at least in my opinion, it should. And so the disciples loved Jesus, and they had a wonderful reality that changed in their lives. But what happened to cause the disciples to be so bold? Two things. There was a new presence, and there was a new power. The apostles thought Jesus was dead, and they were scared to death, and they were in hiding. Something changed. They saw Jesus alive. His presence impacted them greatly, as we see throughout church history. All but John, according to church historians, gave their physical lives for the gospel. They also received a new power, the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them he had to go away to allow the Holy Spirit to come in John 16, verse 7. And then he also promised in John 14, 26 this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Faithful to his word, Peter and the other disciples were able to recall what Jesus taught them and share it with all who would listen. And thanks to the Holy Spirit, they were able to recall each and every lesson the Lord taught. At the end of Peter's first sermon, there were 3,000 new believers. Now, we are blessed in this congregation to have a lot of new parents, a lot of babies. Now, babies are bundles of joy, aren't they? They bring us so much pleasure. But if new parents were truthful and they got up here, they would also tell you new babies bring pain, right? Pain of no sleep, pain of you eating last, pain that you're actually not the most important person in the world anymore. 
And on and on it goes. But there's a balance there, right? We delight in that. Now think about 3,000 new souls added to a church. That's great. That's wonderful. But there's also a tremendous responsibility to care for 3,000 new babies, right? So I want us to look at our first of three points today, and it's called connection in Christ. And it's so vital. Look at the first two verses again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now this past week, we spent the entire prayer gathering camped out on Acts 42. We had a wonderful time praising God, repenting, asking God, and yielding just from verse 42 and these four pillars. And the night I looked up at one point, I looked at Dave, and it was 8.15. We started at 7.30. We were still praising God just for the first attributes. I was like, okay, maybe i got to pick it up a little bit. But what I want to emphasize is that each one of these pillars could be several standalone messages on their own. So I am briefly introducing you to these topics. Some scholars call these four things the church devoted themselves to as normative, meaning the special signs and wonders that caused awe were called unique signs, right? They were a special thing to jump start the church. But the normative functions, the things that took place back then, can take place today. They are timeless. Remember, an apostle also was someone who spent their entire life with Jesus as he taught, and it goes all the way back to the very beginning of John's baptism. And we learn this from Acts 1, 21 through verse 22. Now, when you think about these unique experiences that the work the Lord worked through the disciples, it could have left the early believers desiring for more of these special signs, right? Like how cool to see all these wonderful things where they're talking to the lame man who's been lame for over 40 years and then I rise up and walk. And he doesn't just rise up and walk. He's jumping in fully restored because that's what our Savior can do with a life. So, of course, they're going to long for those things. But of note, we don't find this at all in Scripture. Rather, pondering over the past, we see the disciples pursuing the Word of God in the present. And I think that's significant, and it's something for us to observe. So with that understanding, look at the very first pillar, and that is devoted to the Word, the apostles' teaching. That's where our New Testament comes from. So, of course, what they were teaching at the time was the Old Testament and what Jesus had taught them, right? Look at Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17. They'll let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then Peter goes on in 1 Peter 2, 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. It is my prayer that each of us would have a desire for the word like this. May our appetite for Scripture grow, and may we consume it often. Now, I want to encourage you. You're going to hear this a lot from me, probably other pastors. Consider marking up your Bibles. 
don't be afraid. I was able to get the Bibles for my grandparents, and I'm so thankful for them, but they are of the generation where they didn't mark down a single thing. So I have no idea what their favorite verses were. I don't know what their thoughts were on certain passages. But today, we could journal, we could have our own little leather journals, or even just a legal pad, right? Um, you could do it on the cheap, but you could write down your thoughts, or you could even store them electronically, and then think of what a treasure that would be for the following generations, to know what you thought about in a certain passage and what you were going through at that point in your life. Think about how that would build up the next generation. Second pillar, devoted to fellowship. I love fellowship. As mentioned with the children earlier, this is the first time that the word fellowship is used, koinonia, right, in the New Testament. And koin, the root word here, means common. So they spoke common Greek. That was the universal language of the day. We will discuss this further in our second point, but for now, know this type of fellowship, as we demonstrated with the kids, was costly, but it was worth it because it produced something very sweet. Most scholars believe this third pillar devoted to the breaking of bread is linked to observing the Lord's Supper. And there's a couple reasons why. One, it's included in these worship categories in verse 42. And then two, we see this phrase, breaking bread, being distinguished from regular food in verse 46. And so because of the context and how it's used, most believe that they were physically observing the Lord's Supper, both in the temple gatherings and in homes. Now we also, well... Let me share this. As I was reflecting on the Lord's Supper, and we're asking you to share what you've learned in 21 days of prayer, one of the things that God convicted me of is even just how we observe the Lord's Supper as a church body. Now, it's something that we observe every week, and even that I've wanted to safeguard to make sure that we pause and we reflect. And granted, I'm also managing time, and I don't want you guys to ever be aware of time, even though your bellies sometimes tell you it's time to eat, right? But I would say today, especially, we are going to slow down at the end of the service, and we are going to observe the Lord's Supper, and we're going to make sure it is an act of worship. That's something that God counseled me on. And so as a pastor here, I want to make sure I'm leading us properly. So no, it's my heart's desire that we slow down. And I'll also say, and I'll teach more on this later, that if you find yourself in a place where you shouldn't observe the Lord's Supper because of multiple reasons that the Bible teaches, it's okay not to observe the Lord's Supper. It's that important. If you have strife with a fellow brother or sister here, you should not observe the Lord's Supper. And so, again, we'll talk more about that later. But no, this is something that God has impressed upon me, that we want to make sure this is an act of worship. And the fourth pillar, devoted to the prayers. Acts 12, 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Don't you desire to be a part of a body of believers who will stop everything and beg God on your behalf? I still remember when I preached at Tyson several years ago, Elder Wayne at the time wrote me after I shared with the church body that our granddaughter had just been diagnosed with leukemia. It was one of the hardest messages I ever preached. It was one of the hardest things we went through as a family, and we're still going through it. As to date, little Riley, at five now, she was three then, has had over 140 chemo treatments. She's had a lot of things that she's had to go through. But this is what Elder Wayne said. He said, Brother Todd, I will give God no rest on behalf of little Riley. 
Those kind of prayers matter, don't they? We need to have men and women in the local body of Christ who pray like that, who give God no rest on behalf. That's what interceding for our brothers and sisters and the lost looks like. Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's good to know you can call bomb brothers and sisters to not only pray for you, but they're willing to give up time and food for you as well, to give up their treasure, their income, to take care of you. Are you seeing a theme yet in the early church and how they cared for one another? My prayer is that we will be a model of this kind of community in Christ. This isn't a call for action for just staff either or for one, right? This is a call to action for every follower of Jesus. Now, men, I want to encourage you to lead your families well. If you're not in a church group, get in a church group. We'll talk about this later. And if you don't have someone discipling you, ask the question, why? If you need help, that's what I'm here for. But I promise you, you need a battle buddy. We talked about this on New Year's Eve. You need someone pouring into you. And I need you to pour into other men. Every one of us can do this. Now, just so you don't think I'm talking about this in theory, just yesterday I spent my whole morning with Pastor Joe Henrique. He used to lead Tyson's. He's a dear brother, and he still pours into me. I'm extremely blessed to have this retired pastor take time out of his busy life to pour into me, to teach me God's Word. And so I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not doing, but it is that important. And ladies, just like the men, whether it's a church group, whether it's the community groups for men and women, we have so many wonderful opportunities for you ladies to get involved in community. Uh, and so just look at the resources that we have on the website. But know, just like the men, you need a battle buddy as well. And I am super encouraged. I have men and women write me on a regular basis saying, I've got my battle buddy. Now what? And so then I'll give some, some maybe some more guidance on that. But it's so important that you have someone to do life with. And then think about the children. For those of you that have children in your care, you're responsible to cultivate an environment, whether it's through Kids Quest, whether it's through The Rock, whether it's through Awana, whether it's through Access, where you can place them in environments where they're going to be nourished with God's Word, where they're going to be around other godly men and women who are going to care for them and teach them principles from God's Word. Now, these four pillars, the Word, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer, are crucial for any healthy church. Now, if you know a little bit about me, you know I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to plants. I was that weirdo in the SEAL teams that loved survival, and I blame it on my grandfathers, but one of them taught me how to make medicine from plants when I was little, and so that's where we got our medicine from. We had tinctures and balms. They were all homemade, and so, of course, I taught my kids, especially when we lived in Alaska, and I tortured them with my tinctures, and <clears throat> I won't get into all the ingredients, but you can imagine a tincture is strong, and so to get the full benefit from those plants. But as I was studying, I was recalling something that I wanted to share with you. And it's kind of a $5 word, but it's called mycorrhiza. So mycorrhiza is this massive network of fungus that cohabitates with plants in a forest. Matter of fact, in Oregon, it's considered one of the largest organisms on planet Earth that's living, right? It's so connected, and they work together. It's a vast network, and they connect 
plants and trees together so that they can share nutrients and they can basically communicate and support each other's growth. And as I was thinking about mycorrhiza in this process, I thought, what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, right? Our connection in Christ through fellowship and shared faith creates a spiritual network where we support, strengthen, and encourage one another and nurture each other on our journey of faith as well. Point two, care and community. Look at the next two verses. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, do you realize fellowship with God and biblical fellowship with others go together? They do. I've heard some suggest that the stronger your relationship is vertically with God, the stronger your relationship horizontally will be with others. In Boyce's excellent commentary on Acts, he rightly states this. If you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you will begin to find yourself out of fellowship with other Christians. You will say, I don't really like to be with other Christians very much. They all seem to be hypocrites. Friends, this statement is spot on. I've seen so many people drift away from the Lord. But I've also seen a lot of good news. This works in reverse as well. For you see, when we spend time in the Word, when we spend time in prayer, we're going to desire to have relationships with other believers. We're going to desire to be with the body of Christ when they gather. And our affections are going to change. So we don't have to lament and say, oh, I must spiral out of control. We could stop and actually analyze what we're doing and change the course. Now, we all are familiar with the billion-dollar industry of diet and exercise, right? And every new year, we all get motivated, like, all right, I'm going to cut out this, or I'm going to add this. I'm going to take $10,000 of supplements, and then I'll be just right. You know, we have all these things, but what I've learned is that when it comes down to it, ultimately, it's a choice every day. And for some of us, it's moment by moment, right? Like, is this food helpful? I remember many years ago when my wife and I lived in San Diego, one of those triathletes, he says something that was kind of profound that I think is still pretty accurate. He said, save a lot of time and just shop the perimeter of a grocery store. Everything in the middle is fake food. Everything on the perimeter is real food. And so right off the bat, you can eliminate a lot of stuff in your life. But that's not the main thing I want to emphasize. The thing I want to emphasize is when we analyze these things, where we know what we're supposed to do, I remember seeing an interview uh, when I was uh, basically doing healthcare and we're asking questions. And I remember one that was kind of staggering one time. And this person was sitting there and they're kind of analyzing. They just didn't feel good and nothing was going right and they're mopey. They're like, all right, so do you exercise? And they're like, well, no. Okay, do you, do you eat right? Are you eating some good foods? Like, and they're like, no, not really. I eat whatever I want. How about sleep? Are you sleeping good? No, I don't sleep well. Well, how about this? And how about that? And everything was no. But yet this person wanted great health, and they wanted to feel good, but they were doing none of the obvious things to start. Now, this person needed help. They needed a dietitian. They needed someone to train them. As I thought about that interview and that person, I thought, this really crosses over spiritually as well. If you're in a rut, find another believer. Ladies, find another woman. Men, find another man, this battle buddy, and maybe let them do a deep dive in your life. 
Let them take a look as someone from the outside. Let them look in, and they might actually see a few things that are glaring, like maybe you shouldn't eat two bags of candy before you go to bed. Maybe you should go for a walk, you know, some things like that. But then they're like, let's knock the dust off the Bible, and let's actually open it up. Let's not just read it. Let's pray it. How about let's not just pray it. Let's obey it. Let's see what that does in our lives, the basics, right? Now, I want to commend to you something that's very special in our church. Pete and Pam Rocks lead something called the Stephen Ministry. If you do not know about it, we have men and women who are trained lay pastors, and we also have another organization where we're equipping the saints in counseling, and we have these men and women that want to come alongside you and care for you. So know, especially ladies, that this is a phenomenal resource for you for to be honest, you know, I always tell people, like, meeting with me is like JV, but if I can introduce you to a Stephen minister or to someone who's gone through this training, it's like bumping you up to varsity. So please take us up on resources and care. Apply for a Stephen minister. It's completely confidential, and they will care for you as long as you need care. Lastly, on fellowship, if you have not watched the 12 Traits series that Davis led us through, led us through one of the messages is on fellowship as a standalone. I highly commend it to you. Another thing to point out in care and community is that early believers gave from gratefulness. Unlike communism where generosity is forced, for believers, their giving was voluntary and they did it for those who were in need. Verse 46 reminds us they didn't sell everything because they were meeting in homes, right? And so it was really how the Lord led each person. And the early church also gave out a compulsion for worship. It was an actual act of worship. They had a deep understanding of what God had done for them. And they wanted to express their love by following his commands. What a beautiful way to live out the commands of Jesus in Matthew 22. By loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor like yourself. Now we don't have time to read all the 59 one another's. But you need to listen to a few of them just to help you understand how important being together is. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. John 13, 34. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Romans 12, 10. And it continues. Outdo one another in showing honor. Instruct one another. Romans 15. The members would have the same concern for each other. 1 Corinthians 12. Serve one another through love, Galatians 5. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6. With patience, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4. Always pursue what is good for one another, 1 Thessalonians 5. And then finally, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, Hebrews 10.24. And on and on these one another's go. And they should spur us on to care for our brothers and sisters. Now, if you would like to know more about this topic and what it looks like in the life of a believer, I highly commend to you to take the time to read Life Together by Bonhoeffer. In his book, he says, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Now, I was taught as a little boy, grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. Because of what Jesus did, we have this, and we should be extremely great, grateful. Now, as pastors from every location, we desire every member being a church group. The reason for this is so they may experience true biblical fellowship. 
As the elders and the pastors and other ministry leaders got together several years ago, we really landed on the fact that the church needs to gather more than just Sunday to know what true biblical fellowship looks like. And ideally in a church group, it's created in such a way where you're going to be cared for, you're going to grow to be more like Jesus, and you're going to learn how to make disciples. We even have a QR code for you today, and I won't be anxious at all if you want to get your phone out and scan, but it'll let you know where church groups are near you so that you can jump right in and join. Now, full disclosure, like your church, your church group will not be perfect. That's okay, because if it was perfect, none of us would be allowed to join, right? But don't worry about being awkward when you join a church group. It won't take long, and you will soon realize that everyone in your church group is just as messed up as you are. I personally find great comfort in that as I look at some of my fellow church group members. And I have an open invitation for anyone that would like to try a church group. Mine meets every Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30 upstairs. We have a lot of fun. We have time of fellowship, time in the Word, time in prayer. And again, uh, they're led by a man who's imperfect. And see, I can't even say the word right. That's just emphasizing the point. But it's really good that we gather and that we're transparent, and that we acknowledge that we're still figuring this out together. This group I've been leading for years calls themselves the Misfits. I would say that's a fitting title for every follower of Christ. And speaking of Misfits, just for one of my young adult buddies in the back, it's been a while since I quoted Petra, but I think of Misfits, I think of one of my favorite songs by Petra. It's called Fool's Gold, and it goes like this. Some may call me foolish, and some may call me odd. But I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. As you get involved with a church group, this lends itself to finding your battle buddy. Remember, our charge from New Year's Eve is, are you battle ready? And one of the ways you go about that is to make sure that you have somebody discipling you and that you're discipling someone else. As I was studying this passage I also reflected years ago when I was leading the Rock Student Ministry that I was invited to speak with a bunch of businessmen 6 a.m. before they went to work on a Wednesday. And there was about 100 people present. And I thought, that's pretty cool, 100 fellows getting up. And I felt compelled to preach on the Great Suggestion, kind of taking fun with the Great Commission there, because so many people see it not as marching orders from the creator of the universe, but as a suggestion from a buddy. And I thought maybe some of the stats that I shared that day was hyperbole until I listened to the discussions around the table. The one stat that I shared with all these men who got up to go study the Bible at 6 a.m. before work was this. It said 95%, let that sink in, 95% of professing believers have never told one person about Jesus Christ. Not one person. I thought that was a bit of a stretch until I listened to these men gather around their table for discussion time, explain and give excuses why they don't tell people about Jesus. Kind of broke my heart, but it also emphasized a point. It is not a suggestion. What do we recite every close of service, the Great Commission? And what does he say? Make disciples. We are to make disciples. So please take the word of God as serious as the early church did. I've had the privilege to climb a lot of mountains around the world, and I've climbed with some really talented people. 
that have written books about climbs and such. But one of the things that I want you to picture is a team of mountain climbers that are tethered together as they ascend a steep peak. And each climber's safety and success depends not only on their own skill, but on the person they're connected to. And if that person is not equipped and prepared, and they're not paying attention, they can actually drag you to an untimely death. Likewise, if you are trained and you are prepared well, you can actually help somebody who stumbles and keep them from falling to their own death. And so it's a very symbiotic relationship, but it mirrors the kind of care that we are called to offer in our Christian community, supporting one another through life's challenging climbs and ensuring no one is left behind. At our all staff this week, I had the privilege to give some updates about what's going on locally here at Prince William, but one of the things I shared in closing was a trip that a few of us went on to Abu Kenya, uh, and we worked with Pastor Steve and his wife Mary, who's a nurse. And I remember that morning, it was pouring down rain in the Great Rift Valley in northwest Kenya. Beautiful, beautiful country. Pretty much all the animals you can imagine that want to eat you are there. And it was just wonderful. It was a great time to reflect in God's Word. But as I was reading that day, I was reading about God in 1 Kings, and that He's not only the God of the mountains, but He's God of the valleys. And as we drove down into this valley with mountains all around us, Pastor Steve said, what you preaching on today? I was like, I didn't know what I was preaching. I think I know what I'm preaching on, though. And so I opened up 1 Kings, and I shared about this God of the mountains and the valleys. And I also shared with those listening that the God of the mountains is the God of our very wonderful times that we go through, right? We celebrate and we enjoy those mountaintop experiences. But as I've shared with you before, very little grows on top of a mountain. It's a beautiful view, but all the growth takes place in the valley. And the valley's hard, isn't it? The valley is those low times when we go through hard things. But this is what I've learned and I want and I desire desperately that this church becomes like this. And that is this, that when we share our joys as a body, they're multiplied. And when we share our sorrows, they're divided. More and more of you are sharing your sorrows and your joys with me and others in the church. It's so good to see conversations taking place before church, after church, people sharing what's going on in their lives. And it's not all pretty stuff, right? It's that bag of grapes that little boy was squeezing, right? It's messy. But at the end of the day, it's sweet because we have this in common that we all are going to have mountaintop experiences, and we're all going to have those valley experiences too. Why not go through them together? Brings us to our last point. Celebration in communion. Last two verses. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Are you able to picture the scene? Can you see the joyful people going from the temple to the personal homes? They appear to be an abundance of gratitude that's just overflowing in their personal lives. Now, the temple court probably refers to the temple court of the Gentiles. Now, during the feast times, they had over 200,000 people who could actually fit on this temple court. And so don't think like little football court. Think massive, right? It's much bigger than you can picture, most likely. But the temple court was a special place where they gathered in large communities. But they also went to homes 
Now, it's possible that these believers are meeting in person, both in these large places and these small places. And again, it's something that I think we need to model as a church today. We gather corporately on Sunday, right? We gather on Wednesdays corporately. But then we're breaking off into these church groups. We're breaking into smaller groups. We even have our battle buddies. And whatever term you want to use, from discipleship to mentor to coach, but it's the fact you're doing life together around God's word and you're being completely transparent with that person. And I know that takes time, but it is worth it. Now, I also know as much as this is describing in-person worship and people together, that we have some wonderful people that are watching online and they physically can't be here for a various amount or varied amount of reasons. So know this, if you're listening, we love you. We are grateful for you. And I pray for your endurance as you go through these physical trials. And I also am very grateful for your prayers as you pray for this church and the people here. So know that you're not forgotten. This picture of the early saints also reminds me of the words of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples in John 13, starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Early believers took God's word very seriously. I found a historical note from a man called Aristides who spoke about Christians in A.D. 125 and their impact on others. Listen to what this man wrote a long time ago. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is any among them, any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Wow. What a picture of the church. Is it any wonder people came to know the Lord Jesus day by day? What a display of love. Now, the believers that we meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for service as usual. Take a look at these passages briefly. They met daily in Acts 2.46. They cared daily in Acts 6.1. One souls daily in Acts 2.47. They searched the scriptures daily, Acts 17.11, and increased in number daily, Acts 16.5. Their Christian faith was day-by-day reality, not a once-a-week routine. Why? Because the risen Savior was a living reality to them, and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul models this type of love in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. May each of us have such an overflow of what God has done for us in our lives that we would sound like a symphony of praise to the Lord Almighty. Now, if you look at this picture of an orchestra, it's just another way I want you to think about a symphony of orchestra where various instruments come together and they create a harmonious and beautiful piece of music. Each instrument has a unique part, but it's the collective effort that leads to a truly beautiful and joyous experience. Now, I attempted to participate in such things in grade school as I took up the saxophone 
And apparently I was so good that I merited my own private studio in a camper outside uh, that was over 100 degrees. You see, my mom said, this is just for you. So go out into the camper and practice there. And it was there that I perfected Aloha Way and many other famous tunes. But around sixth grade, I think my career in the saxophone was uh, diminishing. But you get the idea, right? I'm sure it was beautiful to my mom, but she preferred that I perform in the camper. But we have a distinct privilege today to be in communion with one another, to bring our unique gifts and voices together, to lift up our Savior to a community around us, and God will receive all the honor and glory as we perform as he has called us to. So here's what I want to do. For every follower of Christ listening now, I want to give you a mission. And it specifically is called Mission 3. I like to keep things simple. Believe it or not, there's going to be three points that I want you to remember. I want you to pray today for three names that you know are not ready to meet the Lord Jesus. Three names from three areas. You can find them from your family, your friends, or anywhere that you would call fun, where you recreate. Think of those three areas where each and every week you go. Think of those three names, and then I want you to do three actions. They're called prayer, care, and share. I want you to care enough about those three names to talk to God about them before you talk to them about God. So prayer, care. How are you physically going to care for them? Maybe it's a neighbor you don't know yet. Maybe you don't even know their name. Maybe you need to walk across the street and... Give them a plate of cookies or a bag of fruit, whatever the Lord leads. But regardless, take the time to meet them and show physical care. It could be mowing someone's yard. You get the idea. And then you need to physically share the gospel. The gospel is a lot more than, hey, I'm going to pray for you, or hey, I like you. It's sharing the physical gospel. For those of you listening today that are still exploring Christianity, I want to share a very special story that impacted my life in the 80s. Now, shifting gears here a little bit, I used to wear something called a beeper. You younger people, it's a little black device that we thought was cool, but actually it meant you're a slave and they could bring you to work any time they wanted. But I remember the first time that beeper went off. It was for real. We're going to do the big one, boys. And we get recalled, and our boss was leaning across the podium, and he says, bad news, boys. We've got a rescue op, and it's local. Take a look at who we're rescuing. His name is Rascal. Rascal the Dolphin. Now, I was a little disappointed. I thought we were going to save a man or woman overseas, you know, and do some hostage rescue. But apparently, dolphins need saving from cold water. And so SeaWorld came in, and we partnered with SeaWorld. And so they told us they're going to just put a net around little rascal and help get him out of that slushy cold water so he don't freeze to death. But they needed some brave surface swimmers. So, of course, you know, they called us up. So we're very proud of ourselves. And so we slipped into that water that was approximately 33 degrees. It was kind of slushy. And we did, in fact, circle up on this dolphin because SeaWorld said once those bodies are around the net, the dolphin will be calm. He'll think it's a solid object and he won't charge the net makes perfect sense, right? They're SeaWorld after all. <laughs> Lo and behold, Rascal panicked and he charged the net. And do you know who he wrapped up in the net? Right here. He didn't just wrap me up a little, he wrapped me up a lot. And then I got to go to the bottom of the ocean. Now, here's the deal. I was like, this is a bummer. 
I didn't picture dying by a dolphin. I thought of a lot of other ways I was going to go. Even a shark, but not a dolphin, right? They're so cuddly in the movies. And as I'm there on the bottom of the ocean, I'm contemplating life. It's challenging to hold your breath in chilly water. And I thought, wow, with all my skills, I can do nothing right now. And I describe this experience like imagine being tied to the back of a Ford pickup truck and stopping it from going. You're not. The Ford truck will take you wherever it wants. That's what the dolphin was doing to me. And so while I was down there, I had a short prayer, and I was like, okay, I, I guess this is it. And then he eased up. And as soon as I broke the surface, you can imagine what a macho seal would do, right? He'd be like, hey, I just need a little help over here. I screamed bloody murder. I screamed as loud as I could. I need help. I need help. And then it went right back under. Well, because I was screaming for help, I didn't get the best breath. And so that was a little disturbing. I thought, maybe this is it. I think I'm going to drown right here. And then, just as I popped up, here comes my buddy Scott. He's swimming towards me. He's swimming hard. I'm like, finally, I'm going to be saved. Boom, right back down. I was so disheartened. I was like, I don't got anything left. I think this is it. And I remember that tunnel just coming in. If you've ever had hypoxia underwater, it happens fast. And those tunnels were closing in. And then I popped. My buddy was there. He had me all wrapped up. He was slashing that net to pieces. And he saved me. Now, here's the deal. I was pretty confident in the water. I had a lot of training. We even went through something called drown proofing. And I realized with all that training, I could not save myself. You might be listening today, thinking you're good. You might be trusting in the money you make, in the power you have, maybe even in your fame. Whatever it is, let me ask you a question. On that day when death knocks on that door, and it's dragging you to a place the Bible calls hell, everlasting torment. Which of those things are you going to call to save you? Which of those treasures? Are you going to count on your pride to save you? Are you going to count on that money? You know what I'm going to count on? I'm going to count on the name of Jesus Christ. I've been bought by the blood. And on that day, I will not have to worry. And I'm not saved because of anything I did. And so, friends, if you're listening today, please know God created you to be with him. He loves you. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are all sinners. I certainly wouldn't count on the very best five minutes of my life to save me. And I hope you wouldn't either. The Bible says that our best works are like filthy rags to a holy God. But Jesus sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and to die for me. And he didn't leave him dead. On that third date, he raised him. And every man and woman who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can have eternal life, and it begins today. Don't neglect this perfect salvation. It is for everyone, and that eternal life begins today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time spent in your word, exploring the richness of Christian community. And as we depart from this place, let the truths of connection, care, and celebration take root in our hearts. May we embody these virtues in our daily lives, reflecting the love and unity that you desire for your children. Guide us this week to live out these principles, showing your love to those around us. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and ultimate example of love and community, we pray. And the church said, amen.